0: I'm okay. I'm uh, here in Maryland for a little while. So that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Just getting resettled and yeah, re, uh, readjusted.
0: The amount of stuff you have to do to like repatriate is <sighs> not small.
1: So yeah. they,
0: ma- they made me totally retake my driver's test, including a practical exam. So I'm out here dodging cones and.
1: and at the end, <laughs>
0: I'm hanging out with a bunch D-
1: of 15-year-olds.
0: Oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe. So I was at the DMV and every person was accompanied by a guardian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I'm just
0: just here with my tattoos and You're like taking just- your defensive <laughs> driving class all over again. Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. God. <laughs> Paral- parallel parking and whatnot. So it's been an adventure. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well,
1: welcome home. Never a better time, I guess, than now.
0: It's 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 very, very good, and I say this with total sincerity. It's it's very, very good to be back.
1: Yay. Hi, I'm Alex Jump and this is Focus on Health, a podcast dedicated to discussing topics surrounding the well-being of those that work in the food and beverage industry. During the second season of the podcast, I hope to host conversations that shed light on topics such as workplace culture, self-identity work-life balance, interpersonal relationships, substance abuse, and any other challenges that we may face. It's through our shared experiences that I believe we can create meaningful change in the lives of those that work in hospitality. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex Jump, and this is Focus on Health. And today I'm joined by Chris Lauder, uh, recently back to the United States, um, longtime industry professional and uh, somebody that a lot of people, including myself, look up to. So thanks for joining today.
0: Oh, it's it's amazing to be here. Thanks, Alex, for having me on the podcast. Uh, it's a treat. It's a treat to be back. It's a treat to be in similar time zones and it's a <laughs> treat to talk about to talk about health and and all of these topics that are very near and dear to both of our hearts. So that's yeah. amazing. Thank you.
1: Yeah, well, and, you know, actually, when I first reached out to you, which I um, admittedly was way in over my head as far as figuring out how and when I would get all of these people scheduled to record that I wanted to talk to, you were uh, living very far away. And so that was something that had uh, um, crossed my mind was how we were going to find a good time to <laughs> to record. Um, but, you know, here we are. And now we're only a couple of time zones away. So that's nice. Um yeah. Maybe can we start by will you give people listening a little background on to into who you are, and um, you can go as deep or as uh, shallow as you want to go, and maybe just how why we're why we are here now and.
0: yeah sure i'll be happy (laughs) to thanks very much Uh, so. A little background into who I am and and especially within the context of this podcast and the things that we'll talk about today is I have been in the food and beverage industry for gosh, close to 14 years now, starting as a cook growing up in Baltimore, starting as a dishwasher growing up in Baltimore, and then working in uh, pretty much every place every position someone can work in between kitchen, dining room, eventually behind the bar, and worked in New York City uh, in my cocktail part of my life, Uh, worked in New York City at uh, Amoria Margo with a good friend named Southern Teague and right next door to Death and Company, I might add, and as well as the Nomad Hotel in New York wound up going out to Asia to open Four Seasons Hotel in Seoul, and then moved to Shanghai to open Proof & Company, which is the role that I've been holding up until very recently, doing general manager of our Greater China operation. So that's importing and distribution of craft spirits, consulting on luxury hotel bars and this kind of thing, uh, and generally causing trouble and mayhem wherever <laughs> we 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 might go as you know along that journey one thing that has become more and more important in my life especially as I've transitioned from roles in cooking to roles behind the bar to eventually roles uh marketing and distributing spirits nationally multi has been an increasing focus on sustainability and wellness. And that largely comes from making all of the mistakes (laughs) that I think most of us hospitality workers make. Uh, And and a lot of the unsustainability that that can come from those roles, the late night pizza, the closing down your friend's dive bar after (laughs) Your thirtieth night bartending uh, behind the stick, um, you know, eating family meal fried chicken wings while stooped over a trash can out of a court container, all <laughs> this, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. So uh, that's become a big part of my life and a big part of my, um, I'd say, as I have continued to delve into. Myself and my values, a big part of my identity has been my identity as an athlete, um, and that's something that I'm, I'm excited to talk about today. So I, I compete in now, <laughs> uh, later on down the road, I compete in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, I love to run, and uh, I, w- you know, in non-COVID times, am a, a very avid swimmer. And, uh, I, I do a lot of strength training. So I really put a lot of emphasis on, on that part of my life. And, and if other people are encouraged or inspired along the way, then, then that's, you know, for me, that's, that's, uh, all I can ask for really is, is to, to do right by all of our sisters and brothers in the the industry. So that's, that's, that's that.
1: Okay. I like that you brought up, um, like bringing, uh, you know, making mistakes. Um, Mm. it's been something that's been on my mind a lot because we are training, you know, so many new staff members at the bar and, uh, we have one staff member in particular. And every time I, you know, um, correct him or let him know that he, you know, that something was maybe not correct. Um, he always is so hard on himself and I have to be like, it's okay that you made a mistake, like mistakes are how we learn best. Right. Like by making that mistake, it, it teaches you a better lesson than, than never making the mistake and trying to just like, remember what you were told or whatever. So, and I think that really relates to how we take care of ourselves in this industry as well. I think that from the mistakes that we make and maybe, you know, the, the, the paths that we find ourselves going down from those mistakes, we learn a lot about what we don't want um, in our life.
0: Oh Um, gosh, there's, there's two things I have to say to this if if I may. And Please. F- firstly, it's uh, you know, I find that the person that we're most well equipped to help is the person that we ourselves used to be. yeah, you know what I mean? So it's it's when I really think about adding value or mentorship, you know the the people that you and I are are able to service are, are those upstart bartenders or or barbacks or cooks in the kitchen or just people that are in the same shoes that we have been walking, you know what I mean? So so helping, trying to prevent people from making the same mistakes that we've made, I think is a noble pursuit. But (laughs) the second thing that that inspires me to say is is that I really think that um, pain is pain and discomfort are some of the only real teachers that there are so you know we can also you know talk ourselves blue in the face (laughs) trying to help coach and correct and and see ahead of the next corner well if that person's does that then the next three or four steps we can see because we ourselves have those scars and bruises yeah you know what I mean and uh but sometimes you've just gotta screw up before you can you know what i mean before you can really fully understand why mark twain this is i sound really pompous quoting mark twain but it's a Mm. it's a quote i really like is uh he said a a person who picks up a cat by the tail is someone who couldn't have learned that lesson any other way oh yeah (laughs) yeah that resonates
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think
0: that's so true and you see it happen you're like well I said it you know you're not supposed to do it but you're doing it and evidently you just needed that scar to learn that lesson you know what I mean yeah
1: yeah I mean we've all learned that way uh you know that's certainly why we're here um and there yeah you know it's like so much so much beauty can come from suffering that you sometimes have to you have to go through that not, not to get all you know Yogi on you, but <laughs> it's true.
0: It's yeah. hey, that's true. That's true. I, I absolutely that absolutely resonates with with my lived experience. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: I think that you know, there's so much that we can talk about in uh, our industry and how our wellness and and your wellness relates to that. And I think that maybe the best place to start unpacking some of those things is just to talk about your the when you moved to Asia. Um, and, mm. and that experience for you um, being, you know, newlywed and, um, uh, you know, very well-known um, American bartender in a foreign country and a language you probably, if you did speak, which I think that you did, maybe you'd had it in a while. Um, you know, let, sure. Yeah, I don't. I would love for you to share a little bit of, of your experience and your story about that um, and that experience. Totally.
0: I'll I'll give all the listeners a little context here is I, I used to, so before I moved to Asia for this Four Seasons Hotel in Seoul, I used to live in China and Japan as a student. So this is a different chapter of my life, which was a, a chapter spent translating. And so I do speak Mandarin and Japanese. I don't speak Korean. I'm now able to you know, give a taxi driver some directions and order a beer to the table and this kind of thing. But uh, I was working at, and you know, let's get into it since we're talking about wellness and sustainability and things. So I was working at the Nomad Hotel in New York and that bar program was really uh, my baby. I was very emotional about it and therefore very irrational about my time spent. (laughs) there at the bar and and because I was so irrationally (laughs) emotional about my work there I think that I spent that year before I left New York I think I was at physically in that hotel uh 359 days something like that that year and that's not always in service that's maybe coming in and doing inventory but if anyone doesn't know the Nomad Hotel at that time, uh, it was a beast, beast. And there were five, six places where cocktails were happening. We were doing multiple weddings in a given day on the rooftop in the, you know, corporate gathering there. We had a full bore Michelin star service. You know, we're doing brunch, we're doing lunch. We got another bar that opens in the evening and I was managing all of that. So that was, uh,
1: not
0: to mention probably yeah. in room dining as well. Yeah. I would yeah. In, in room dining, Danny yeah. DeVito ordering yeah. multiple ah. martinis to his room, all this kind of stuff. So you're dealing with all this stuff and uh you know you're doing your your private dining room planning for the week and at that point we had I think it was a bar staff of 42. So we had uh, uh gosh, I used to be able to rattle off all these all these uh numbers but it was something to the tune of like 30 30 bartenders or 28 bartenders we had eight barbacks we had uh, a three-person kitchen team just doing bar like mint and juice and stuff one person's full-time job was just receiving and organizing alcohol like oh
1: man i wish i had
0: that well you, you can imagine the the beast right the beast that was and um so so anyway I was just there every day and didn't I'd like to say didn't know any better but that's really a cop out. It was just being, you know, emotional and irrational about wanting to be the best in the world. And I I think that a lot of people listening, especially people maybe that are earlier in their careers or have that fire to to want that, right? And and that's why a lot of people move to New York or some, you know, London or some of these destination cities in the world and uh, have complete burnout. Right. And the reason why we burn out is that we're we're running around doing exactly all the things that I just described and, and putting in these long, long days and then going. And I was I would come home to my apartment, which I had like never cleaned because I was never there. And it's funny, we, we wind up living these split lives, right? Where we're polished and maybe a celebrated figure uh, behind the bar and this host and constantly giving and giving and giving in a certain sense. And we're getting something back from that, but um, your cup doesn't tend to be full when you're in that kind of a role, because you're just, you're providing a certain level of service, you've also got your staff or this whole program, you're thinking about it all the time, you go home, you're still, you're going to your friend's bars. And uh, I was really burning myself out, you know, I'd go back home and uh, have a bunch of cocktails with my roommate, or, uh, you know, smoke a bunch of weed, or just something to kind of numb... That extreme level of stress and, and intention, uh, which was unsustainable. and I was I was really frying myself. So then I uh, at the same time I met my now wife and we fell in love and we were living together. And uh, that all happened kind of fast, relatively speaking. you know, it was in the course of of basically a, a half a year. And my wife's name is Michaela. So Michaela also had previously lived in China for some short stint of time. She did a, a consulting guest bartending kind of thing in, in Shanghai. And so we were, we were talking about both wanting to get out of New York for different reasons, but a lot of it having to do with, with burnout. Um, and you might argue also kind of running from some of the oh, uh sure <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, a little bit <laughs> yeah rather than uh addressing all of the yeah. problems that were are making our lives unsustainable to yeah. just uproot and and life and, will
1: be different there but the, yeah. yeah the grass will be greener the totally. stress will be less
0: the first thing that i maybe we can ext- and maybe we'll stop along we'll find little stopping points in the story and and maybe give some some learned some hard learned scar wisdom to your to your listeners as per the first couple minutes of our conversation and say uh, i think that not just me but probably many people have this habit of thinking you know after i'm just going to get through this chapter in three weeks or in four weeks, when such and such venues open, or when this happens, or when I get that paycheck, or this consulting money, you know, will have crested the hill and everything's going to be better. And I, I have to say that the quest for things to feel more sustainable, or the quest for things to feel more uh, healthy or grounded is not a quest to find some external thing. Right? The, the, the real benefit comes from uncomfortable, slow internal work that changes your perspective, perhaps changes your values, perhaps changes your ability to set boundaries and puts you in a position to more sustainably navigate the unpredictable monster that is life right and and only when you do that work internally to be able to more sustainably navigate life will you be able to be in a position that you're not constantly looking 3 4 weeks into the future when things are quote unquote going to get better because something is going to some shooting star is going to come mm-hmm. and pull you out of whatever the rut is. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't be constantly looking for the the thing in the future that gives you the good reason to do X, Y, or Z or, you know, like it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those learned lessons of like, your suffering will continue until you decide to, to change it. Not the circumstance around you or the yes. the paycheck or the you know number that's of appointments right. in a week or whatever it may be
0: you must take ownership and responsibility uh for your own destiny right i think that's that's the, as succinctly as i can put it and at that point in my life i didn't really have full perspective of that truth and Therefore, I was definitely looking for some external thing, you know, and I was doing all of the this is classic stuff, right? Blaming your your boss for your own suffering, oh, so and so, if only so and so were more responsible, I would be uh, having a better life or more sustainable or whatever. It's not true.
1: yeah,
0: right. and it and it may be true that somebody's doing you dirty but you, you, you are putting yourself in a position, right. To, 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 to have that. And that was just, that's just what was going on. So, uh, but anyway, so in that space and in that mentality and mindset, um, started looking out to Asia Pacific. Now, this is not me saying that Uh, I have some I believe that I made the wrong choice. I believe that I totally made the right choice because our adventure and life growth in Asia has given both me and Michaela, if I can speak on her behalf here, so much more life perspective for which we're very grateful. Um, Mm -hmm. It's been painful Mm -hmm. and uh, I'll talk now about Korea for a little bit because that was, I think the a, a very painful chapter. Uh, and for a number of reasons. Firstly, for anyone who's thinking about um, getting married and then imo- immediately moving to a <laughs> far away <laughs> a faraway country where you don't speak the language uh, and have to open a hotel with eight beverage programs, um, <laughs> i don't I don't recommend it. Uh, (laughs) just just pure and simple can't
1: picture why that would be so difficult
0: (laughs) do it uh uh we did it so Mick and I moved out to Seoul we got married at City Hall and uh also part of the the speed of that wedding was to to catch a deadline to get visa paperwork and this kind of stuff so we, we went we got married at City Hall we were like let's just go move to to Seoul it'll be fine you can Uh, Nick was like, I'll, I'll consult. Turns out can't just do that. There's a lot of visa restrictions,
1: work,
0: work, paper requirements and stuff in a lot of countries, which we've learned, uh, again, the hard way, the, the scars is the only way you're ever going to really learn. So we, we moved out to Seoul and, uh, that was tough. I gotta say. So part of why, why was it really tough? Well, firstly, um, in Korea, Again, I think that we were still at a part of our journey where we were learning all of these important life lessons. So, uh, you know, there were bits that we didn't navigate, I think as well as we could. But also in in Korea, a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of drinking soju. There's a lot of having third, second, third, fourth dinner, you know, sitting down for a a second, third dinner at five o'clock in the morning to a fully Mm. sat restaurant and, and crushing soju through the evening. And uh, you know that was that was a, a tough chapter, I think. And so eventually, Michaela wound up moving to Miami to run the bar at Sweet Liberty. And uh, she and I were fine, but that was just a better opportunity at that time that we both believed in, rather than her just like spinning her wheels and Seoul. And uh, that meant that I was just alone in Korea for a half a year. Mm-hmm. Um, at a hotel where people spoke very broken English at best, you know, in a bar uh, underground, and and we did work again. We did beverage work that I'm very very proud of. Like that bar became now it's one of the world's 50 best bars. We've had amazing uh, bartenders Keith Mazzi and Lorenzo Antinori come through and and run the show and really transform it. Uh, but I was left with six months during which time I did uh, not very much talking because everyone around me, all of the guests, the guests spoke less English than the staff did. So people would just call me over to their table and be like, you're from New York. And I'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, all right, that's that's all I know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's like when I went to Italy and everybody was like, you're from Tennessee, Jack Daniels
0: yeah and you're like yeah 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 Yeah. that's not true actually everybody
1: in Italy loves speaking English but
0: that's fair that's fair that's fair that's fair uh but yeah I mean it was you know there's there's uh, and I'm not this isn't me disparaging Korea as a as a place a great place to live just for me in that chapter just being in that bar every day and I would just go in and eat family meal and you know go ten, you know make sure the program was running and uh it was a lot of time in the office or a lot of time like hanging out with people we couldn't really communicate very much Uh, the net effect of that was that I had a lot of internal quiet time to just reflect on on life and and that was uh it wound up being not by design but by effect uh it wound up being a kind of exile for me that I, in hindsight, realized was deeply beneficial. Uh, it was never intended to be that, but the effect of just me being there almost in <laughs> silence for a half a year. Um, and all I could do was I would just get on YouTube and I would uh, listen to some motivational speeches and and uh, really, I actually, I got very, passionate and deep into some some different speakers and and people that I think have had a really profound impact on my psychology um you know the less browns of the world and and this kind of thing and uh I wound up really changing the way that I think about myself and my wellness and and I had a lot of time to really kind of explore those topics uh and I'm grateful for that so one of the things I learned during that period, if I can share it is is uh, I thought a lot about the topic of identity. And one thing that I have come to really believe is that we will always find ways to act, to act in ways that we feel are consistent with our identity. We will act in ways that are consistent with who we believe ourselves to be. Now, the more simple or perhaps another word is not thoughtful your identity is or unintentional your identity is, um, the more I think you may have a simplified menu of the options that you think that you are worthy of. I don't really know like
1: where this is going. Yes. <laughs> continue. Oh man. So, so yeah.
0: So, so uh, for a long time, I just really didn't think very deeply about who is Chris louder, the man. And what am I, what am I, you know, who am I, what am I showing up to do? And I, instead of thinking hard about that, I thought hard about what do I do and and what is my craft, right? I yeah. uh, adopted wholeheartedly after university where I had the identity of a student, I went on to bartending where I had the identity of a bartender or a mixologist or a craft cocktail guy. And as a result of that, I, consistently behaved in a way that was consistent with that very brief one word moniker for who I am who am I I'm Chris Latter I'm a bartender right and I do bartender
1: things yeah I, do.
0: I get tattoos of pineapples and I take shots I drink a lot and
1: I eat a lot of rich food and travel to go see bartender things that my 100%. time off is consumed by bartender conferences and
0: i'm i'm on my bartender friends facebook pages and i'm obsessing over what's happening on so-and-so's wall and what's the latest deal with you know quant in london and you know what's this guy up to and and i go to the latest openings and i you know all this kind of stuff right and i the more i thought about it the more i realized that um that kind of identity. And we do it to each other, right? This isn't a self-imposed identity necessarily. We are uh, toxically prescribing identities to other people all the time. And we do it in, in uh, not, I don't wanna say sneaky ways, but we do it in just these automatic ways. Like, hi, I'm Chris at a party. And then someone would be like, oh, what do you do? Right. right? Yeah. As though that is the start and end of identity, right? Yeah. Of just, oh, you're a bartender. Got it. Now I yeah. know everything there is to know about you. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Man, I, I would really, I, this is, I'm really glad that you're bringing this up. This is something that's very important to me. It was, Amen. it was my wake up call. Um, I, as to understanding a lot of my unhappiness. Um, Mm. I talk, I talk about it a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I went through something very similar and I think that it shouldn't be lost on people that a lot of people that this happens to not to like, uh, you know, like, uh, generalize it, but like a lot of us like started working in this industry when we were very young and we hadn't really even had an opportunity to really know who we were. I started working behind a bar when I was literally 21 years old. Like I, Mm. you know, like the moment I turned 21, I was working behind a bar. I certainly didn't know who I was like at all, um, and so to be working in this industry that's very fun and very, um, you know, um, consuming in a way because there's so many. There's, it's not just like a job. It's a job that most people in the world enjoy or participate in in some form or fashion. Um, it's also a job where you're constantly given other avenues in which to explore the job via, you know, camps and conferences and competitions. And so there, you know, there's just this immediate, like 15 different doors opening that you want to like explore all of them immediately. And, um, that's really tough when you're 21 years old. And so, yeah, it's pretty easy to just immediately forget that there's like other parts of your personality that can exist and you know you could maybe read a book that isn't a cocktail book or uh you know go on vacation and it not be only centered around the bars in that city or the restaurants in that city that you're going to go to that but like that's yeah yeah this
0: resonates 100% for 100% it's and it's very slippery and it, the reason that it's very slippery and insidious is because uh it's not just a cocktail problem um it's a i think a societal issue that as people we just tend to put each other in easy to understand boxes right and so it's this habit is reinforced socially where as you if you behave in a way that is inconsistent with who other people believe you to be, or that exceed other people's perceived limitations of what you're capable of, they will get uncomfortable. and maybe they don't even become cognizant of their own discomfort. But the way that discomfort is expressed is by saying, "Oh, you know, that shirt doesn't really work for you or oh, are you sure you can do that? Or something like this. It's a subtle kind of negativity that's not even intentional, but is just other people's check on, on who they believe that you are. Uh, and the reason why that's important is, well, firstly, you, you shouldn't put too much stock in that, but it's, but it's really hard. Right, it's really hard to, to exceed those kinds of prescriptions or push beyond them, uh, for all of these reasons. Um, the more that you, so so one way that I've come to think about identity, and I'm a little bit of a nerd, so this will be a nerdy uh, reference for you fellow nerds out there, mm-hmm. is you know if you're playing like a role-playing game, you know what I mean, and you can choose your character. The way that we tend to think about identity, I think, is like, you've got the warrior and the wizard and the rogue and, you know, this kind of stuff. And they're, okay, the wizard's gonna wear robes and is gonna have a staff and, you know, they do wizard stuff, right? And that's how we tend to think about it is it's very, very narrow. Whereas, you know, some other kind of game might give you like a hundred attributes, and you could choose with your attribute points, you know, are you a 30% wizard and a 50% right. warrior? You yeah. know what I mean? Now, that is harder to explain to somebody. Because some people just want a succinct, easy to understand for the for all kinds of reasons. Social convenience and the sake of conversation and all of this. Just what are you? I'm a wizard. Got it. Right, versus perfect. what are you I'm yeah. 60 oh, wizard and yeah. you know yeah. I also dab I'm also yeah. a poet and I also yeah. paint and they're like all right wrap it up you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> but but I it's it's so much more freeing when you think about yourself in the second category so so one of the things that I started to do is I started to refer to myself as an athlete, right? And this was when I was in this process of self-discovery, even just to myself. And I you know, would, would try and say it to myself once a day and this kind of stuff. I'm an athlete, I am an athlete. Uh, a lot of people when they hear that get super uncomfortable because they're like, well, no, you're not. You know what I mean? You don't play sports professionally. Yeah, you're not. But I didn't didn't say I'm a professional athlete. You know what I mean? I'm an athlete, right? That's Bill Bowerman, uh, the Nike coach, says if you have legs, you're an athlete. I love that, right? Is just if if you decide that you're an athlete, maybe you're a 10% athlete. Maybe you're a 20% athlete. Maybe your passion is on the weekends to go from a 20% athlete to a 22% athlete right? And that's a freeing sensation. When you realize that, no, 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 like, I am 50 things. I'm not all of them all the time, or maybe I am, but to a smaller degree. So one thing that I can now think of in my realization that I am an athlete is, okay, now that I'm an athlete, I'm going to eat in a way that's consistent with an athlete. Not in a way that's consistent with a hundred percent athlete. I'm not gonna compete in the Olympics or something, but I can eat in a way that's like 30% consistent with an athlete. What would a 30% athlete do? Would a 30% athlete go out at two in the morning and crush some pizza? No, my 30% athlete self is gonna wake up tomorrow and go for a little, a little 20-minute jog, right? And I can't do that if I'm hungover and, and feel like crap. So why don't I curb some of these other behaviors to honor the little 30% that aspires to be 33% athlete part of my character. And suddenly you realize that like, oh, I have way more plasticity. I have way more flexibility than I thought. You know, I could I can be a 10% writer. That's okay. I don't have to crush it. I don't have to like publish stuff, but I could just honor this little part of myself. And and uh aspire if if one of my values are to one day just become a little bit better as a writer or to play the guitar, then I can just I can just do that. You know what I mean? No one's like no one's, that's no just, one's
1: make no one says you can't because you're also this as your job or
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know bartenders play the guitar. You know what I mean? Uh, it's yeah. this kind of right. And part of the reason why I think Subconsciously, people want to check that impulse in you, is because once you discover your thirty percent athlete and twenty percent musician and fifteen percent creative writer, and you're also a, a, a sibling and a and a and a daughter or a son or a or a, you know whatever you are, um, and all the things that you are, as you explore and develop those things. The people who are not exploring and developing those parts of themselves have to make a choice when they see you do that. They can either say, wow, that person is capable of more than I thought that they were. And therefore maybe I'm capable of things that I didn't know that I was. And the reason that I'm not doing the other things that my soul yearns to do is because I'm just choosing not to, right? Or they can say, well, I don't think bartenders play the guitar. I don't think, you know, who do you think you are? What do you, what are you trying to prove? <laughs> How dare but, you? Yeah, what are you, do you, trying, what are you to trying, trying to What are you trying to prove by like running around all the time? So the reason that it can, <laughs> the reason that it can cause discomfort is that uh, it puts into perspective our own responsibility and our own accountability. And the fact that actually all those things that you're doing, I could be doing, but I'm choosing not to, right? And when people get perspective of that choice and the fact that they're not exercising their choices to to broaden their own lives, uh, it makes people uncomfortable. And and I don't think it's an active wanting to keep each other in a box. I think it's a really subtle subconscious thing.
1: Yeah, I mean I I'm glad that you brought up this idea of identity because I think that I think about this a lot and it and I also think about it in the in the way of how my my idea of my identity or how other people perceive my identity as it relates to my work often can have a negative impact on um on the on whether or not I make decisions because of my, whatever, I'm, pr- I'm afraid of what people will perceive that decision to mean. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I don't know if this is something you struggled with when you decided to leave the Nomad of like, well, what if people think X about why I left or whatever? And like, that's just a really general example. But like, you know, I've had, you know, conversations about like, for instance, like I, I have to, I've had to stop bartending. I can't, I can't physically bartend anymore. My wrist is like totally fucked up. I can't practice yoga because of my wrist. And so like, I had to make the decision of like to stop physically bartending behind the bar. And so, you know, part of the conversation that I had with my therapist was like, well, you know, what are people going to think about that? Was I like not good enough to bartend? And, you know, it's just such a silly thing to like even spend any mental energy on, but it, I don't know if that's something that you struggled with at all with and I don't know any part of your career, but it certainly was related. Has it is directly tied to how I relate my bartending identity to who I'm. I am.
0: Oh my gosh, a hundred percent, yes. Uh, when I moved, and I'll I'll give you two examples: one that I navigated poorly, and one that I hope that I've done better with is certainly going from New York to. South Korea because I hadn't yet done all of the internal work. Uh, I was absolutely hellbent on making sure that people didn't perceive a slowdown in my creative output or my career or my, my career progression. I've always been someone who's very focused on the story? What's the narrative? How am I going to contextualize this next move for myself? Or how are people going to understand it? And that's not always healthy, for reasons that we've talked about. But at that time, I was really hellbent on making sure that I was as noisy as possible on social media. I'm all the way out in South Korea. Uh, If I don't win an award... What does it say about uh, me and my uh, you know, if I lose this momentum, it's gone forever? And I was really uh obsessing about this detail in a way that, like I say, was was detrimental. It certainly affected my my relationship with my new wife. Uh, it certainly impacted, I think, it really uh, that obsession with my perceived identity is uh uh stopped me i think from going out and and making just making healthy decisions and making friends and being social with people outside of the bartender network and all of this stuff right so i i was hyper focused on performing the act of international bartender right and uh you know one thing that i i read recently a book called think like a monk by a guy named jay shetty and a a passage that really struck me in that book was um you know you're you're not who you think you are you're not who other people think you are you are who you think other people think you are and that's the exactly what you're saying and what i'm saying is no one's calling me on the phone and saying, hey, Chris, I, I, I'm really excited to see your new cocktails from Korea. And if you don't have anything to show for yourself, I'm going to think that you're a worse bartender, right? No one's actually saying that. Perhaps nobody even cares. Right. It, yeah. You know I mean? yeah,
1: exactly. But,
0: but I am, and the same with you and what you're saying about your wrist and your decision to to you know, move into a different chapter in your career and life is you're not being truthful to your own compass. You're not being truthful to what other people are saying to you. Probably if you asked your friends directly, hey, I'm thinking about stopping bartending. Do you care? They'd be like, fuck, no. Like, yeah. please just just do you, you know what I mean? Do what makes you happy and healthy. But we are behaving in a way that we think other people think about us. Another way to picture that is like, you are trying to look good for the day, but you're looking in a funhouse mirror. You know what I mean? And so yeah. you're trying to contort your own self image to look good in a reflection that's, that's already distorted, right? Mm-hmm. And even if people did tell you, hey, you should really keep bartending. Do you think that has anything to do with you? Right. No, it has to do with their baggage and their own insecurities and their thought that like, well, if I stop bartending, I think that other people would think this about me and therefore you shouldn't stop bartending because other people might think that about you. It's a projection of their insecurities onto you. Right. As like a transference of, of insecurity. Right. So it's, it's the, it's the funhouse mirror. Right. And, uh, it's something to really be care- the only the more I talk about this the only way to get past all of that is just detachment right yeah. it's just to to well, find- yeah it's to
1: say I my identity is not defined by the fact that I'm a bartender like yes. that's not my only part of my identity right so like to detach yourself from that like one like you know to and not make from, calculated decisions based on just this one small fact about yourself. Yes,
0: and also to not make calculated decisions based on your perceived idea of other people's perception, whether or not they're happy with your decisions, all this kind of stuff. And in my journey, uh, to then go on to to like import and distribute um, cocktail you know cocktail equipment and spirits and all of this with proof and company um i found myself butting up against that a lot and i'm sure that bartenders who go on to other parts of their career all people want you to do is to perform the show of alex the bartender right all people want to they're hey i've i'm i i do you want to do a guest bartending or we're doing such and such or they're maybe they're doing an interview and they're like, "Hey, can you tell us from the perspective of a bartender?" And you might be like, "Hey, guys, like I'm, you, you have a choice in that moment, right? Which is to to tell people what they want to hear and see, and conform to their closed perception of of you as a person, or to constantly have to to put up that boundary and okay, guys, for the 15th time, like I'm not bartending anymore. This is, I'm, I'm doing these other stuff. If you want me to answer this interview, I'm happy to do it about these topics that I'm really passionate about right now. Otherwise, forget it. Uh, Michaela, who uh, is not here, so I won't speak too much on her behalf, but you know she's gone on to start her own wellness company that's amazing called Wonderlet and doing all of this incredible work uh, doing rituals and ceremonies for women's wellness and and working on like the, the social construct that is sisterhood. And it's amazing. The yeah. number of requests that she still gets from like, you know, people will text us in a group chat, link us both in a group chat and say, hey, I have a question for you too about cocktails in China. And she's like, I haven't been working yeah. in the spirits industry in years. But yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> thank you
0: yeah thanks but but you know please you like what are you even talking about this is it's really challenging and uh that's that's the part of this that i think is uh is going to test the endurance of people who want to honor different paths in their life or different 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 parts of their character is the the i think the hardest part maybe once you've done the initial hard work is, is, you know, taking people along for the ride or to just, just maybe walk in the other direction from people who are just not willing to see you as the person that you're showing up as. Yeah. And that's, that's all boundary work. You right. know what I mean? And that can be really tough because you feel yeah. guilty and, and all of this.
1: Right. You said, um you said that there was an example of, Uh, how you felt like you handled that, uh, that well. Um, Sure. Do you want to share that?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot less, um, it's a little bit less interesting to listen to because when you, when you do this stuff well, I think it just is, is, uh, it's more defined by negative space. You know what I mean? And what I, what, what I'm saying is that when you if you are transitioning into a different part of your life or you've transitioned into a different part of your life, I think the best way that you can handle that is just to consistently continuously show up to just quietly correct the people who don't wanna hear it, to drift away from the people who can't accept it and to just just continue to show up as your own self. And people are gonna say what they're gonna say and it's just going to be on you to to um, not not really just not pay attention you know just stay grounded and stay consistent with your values so I think um, later in life, transitioning into general management of this spirits distribution company uh, proof and company, that's I think something that I did well if I can give myself a little scorecard here um. And just keep marching forward. Uh, the only way to do that, though, is to just stay really consistent with with who you want to show up as, and to and to draw boundaries for for people who who don't want to accept that part of yourself or you know that new that new more defined identity. Uh, so even just moving back to the states, you know what I mean? A uh, hundred people have written me personally and said, "Oh my gosh." What's next for you? What happened? The, yeah, what happened? Are yeah. you opening a new bar? What's the story? And just to say, hey, thanks so much for reaching out. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see you too. I'm spending some time with my family and I hope you're well, period, send, peace. You know, that's, that's, that's pretty much the bottom line. And uh, I think that's, you know, just to calmly, consistently do that not overthink it, people are still going to be there when you, when you open your eyes, like the world doesn't stop spinning when you blink or take a nap or take a different chapter of your life or a different season of your life. I think just staying truthful and honoring that decision, um, that's, that's something to do, but it's hard. Uh, it's really tough. It's really tough to stay grounded it's really tough to stay grounded because, uh, specifically because of that social pressure, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm curious about what I feel. Well, I, I certainly don't want to make any assumptions, but it, it seems, uh, via social media that the last two years or so you refound your athlete in, in some way. Mm. And Please correct me if I'm I'm wrong in any of this assumption. But what I really would like like for you to share is maybe just a little bit about that about that um, and how that has changed your life or hasn't changed your life or um, what maybe what brought you back to um, these things that you know bring you joy and happiness or or ground you um, or or maybe if there wasn't anything at all, if one day it just kind of clicked and. You woke up, you know, later and we're just like, oh, I do this again. Um, either way.
0: No, totally. It's, you know, working, I think working, there's, there are certain things that are referred to as cornerstone habits. And uh, I think athleticism is a big one or just personal fitness in general. The reason it's called a cornerstone habit is because once you start working on this one thing, suddenly these other parts of your character, of your life, come into perspective, and you start questioning the value of of some of these other um, things that have just been these unquestioned sacred parts of your character for so long. Uh, you know, once I started running, uh, so basically, to I'm going to back up and and answer your question in a different way. Is uh, I think it was yeah, about two two three years ago, something like this. Uh, I started, I made the decision that I wanted to get into better shape. That's really where it started. As it starts with many people, you have some come to Jesus, you have some wake up call. I think I was doing bar consulting on a, on a tropical Island called Hainan. And, uh, I wanted to go out to the beach and I just felt like crap. And I was like a little hungover and I was like, okay, big decision time. Let's, I'm going to, I'm going to run the Shanghai marathon. Whenever that is, let's look it up. And I looked up the Shanghai Ma as it's referred to, and uh, and it was like four months away. Perfect, Uh, perfect. uh, Perfect. Let's yeah yeah yeah. uh, (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. What could go What could go wrong? So I was like, all right, you know what? Let's, let's, let's start. And I wasn't thinking that it was like January and it's so easy to start running when you're on a tropical Island. And then I went back to Shanghai. That was like two degrees Mm -hmm. and, uh, and sleeting every day and stuff. But I, 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 I kept up with it, um, around that time. What also helped was, uh, Michaela and I got a dog, our puppy named Gemini and, gem also has given a lot of structure to my life where i'm no longer able to just sleep in i'm beholden to another living creature and and i want to make sure that he has a good quality of life and all this stuff so suddenly i'm out i'm going for walks uh and i'm putting on my nike app and i'm i'm doing these runs now along that journey uh i You know, this is not a binary switch. Like it's not suddenly you're, uh, you know, one day you wake up and you're an athlete, but it was a slow burn, as I think it is with a lot of people, until I had a certain critical mass of realizations and habits that helped me stay there. So I started running. Um, I was pushing out the mileage longer and longer and longer. And eventually uh, I got up to like, I did a half marathon one day for a sunday long run i did like 22 or 23k or something and that was the final run in my journey to the marathon where i had given myself such bad achilles tendonitis uh yeah and and i had chin splints and all this and i was just pushing and pushing and pushing and not really listening to my body um and also i think unsustainably trying to do too much right this is also i think going to be a big part of everyone's journeys as they push into self discovery or self transformation is really understanding their bodies and understanding uh what is and is not an appropriate amount of output or effort for the place they're in right now you know a lot of people this is constant classic new year's resolution kind of stuff right of i'm going to go i'm going to run 10k every day and i'm gonna go to the gym six days a week and i'm eating healthy from here on out and no more mayonnaise or whatever and then never, <laughs> never. no more carbs <laughs> and then you know uh three weeks later you're, you know you you're you've crushed five sleeves of chips ahoy and you're like forget it i feel awful i can't it's not sustainable so It's why I mention it's, and I think a reason that people do that is because we have these binary understandings of what identity is. You know, I am starting tomorrow. I'm an athlete, right? And that that's not a reasonable, sustainable, uh, elastic approach to uh, uh, setting yourself up for success, right? It's also why if you listen to people talk about dieting, um, that's not a good idea, right? right. Is, is to, define, to define changing your eating habits as like a temporary, today I started diet, I'm gonna do this weird thing that I don't do that doesn't die right. with my life. And then <laughs> one day I'm gonna be off a diet and I have not, I haven't learned anything, right? All I've learned in that process is eating uh, two crackers every day will help me drop a lot of weight. Well, of course. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah.
0: And and that I and the end that weight loss is miserable. And then when you come off a diet, quote unquote, you you haven't gotten any new wisdom that you can apply to your life in a long-term elastic sustainable way right? Same thing with this kind of New Year's resolution kind of thinking, which is where I was at that time. So, uh, that didn't work. And at the same time, I was also, I read uh, Four Hour Body by Tim Ferriss. I did a lot of damage to myself trying to follow that book, uh, which was like, basically, it was a keto. I, I functionally was switching to keto at the same time I was trying to marathon train. I was living in China. It was just a disaster. So, uh then i got into swimming and i threw myself equally hard into swimming and went nuts um eventually really aggravated my shoulder tendons as you will if you do that <laughs> and then when that didn't work i went equally hard into brazilian jiu jitsu and then uh finally i was forced to shut up and listen to my body when i like popped some cartilage off of my rib cage uh-huh. trying to Trying to throw somebody who didn't want to be thrown. And nothing will teach you humility more than Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It's like the superfood of making you humble, is this sport. Because all you do is fail and you get tapped 30 times a day. And if you can, the only way to survive that. Emotionally is to redefine failure for yourself and also redefine progress for yourself. If you have a brittle binary approach to success, uh, you will burn yourself out, not just in jujitsu, but in life, yeah. in mostly anything. If you have a generous, flexible understanding of my goal today is just to get 0.5% better at something that I value. Well, now you are in a position to really succeed in the long haul, because all you're looking to do is to make small incremental improvements in the long haul of life. And that way more than anything else is going to make a huge difference. There is no light switch, right? It's just redefining your relationship with failure and redefining your relationship with progress and success and what these things mean and how important, like just a very, very tiny grain of sand better is is all you're looking for. That's good. Once I, and jujitsu got me there. Once I learned that truth to as a long answer to your short question, Once I learned that relationship, uh, I was able to really um, long-term lean into athleticism and fitness. And uh, so ironically, the answer is, you know, there's not one moment, but it's more... I think once I became a lot more gentle with myself, ironically, once I became a lot more generous, once I started talking to myself, like you would talk to your best friend or your child, you know, and instead of being like, you need to run a marathon in four months Mm -hmm. and instead being like, Hey buddy, like, here's what you did yesterday. Let's talk about it. Truthfully. Um, How can we do a little bit better tomorrow? Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's been the real force multiplier.
1: I mean, it sounds like the answer was getting a dog.
0: I'm <laughs> <saying>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. That's <laughs> it. all you really need. The binary switch is to have an animal <laughs> and then you're fine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think it's like, it's a easy cop-out to say that, that, that to reset your, um, What's the word I'm thinking of? Like to reset your your standards um, in in our industry is particularly hard because I think it's hard for everybody, no matter yes. what you do. Um, yes. But because yes. this industry is what I have to relate it to, you know, in my life specifically, um, it is hard, um, especially when you work in bars and you don't get yep. home until three in the morning and you maybe eat less food than you should have during the day. And then what you did eat was, you know, like we said, like old food that's been sitting under the heat lamp from family meal or, you know, that you inhale it over a trash can or that you don't even eat until 2 a.m. So, and it does sometimes feel like the alternative of that is to just like throw yourself in full force. Mm. like, well, I only sleep five hours a day now because I got to get up and I got to go to this thing. And so like finding that balance and finding what works for you is important because, because in the end, what we want is to achieve sustainable wellness and happiness. And that can't come when you're trying to push yourself to do things that are not sustainable with what you, how you live your life.
0: Yeah, I I guess if I were to bring this all full circle for your listeners here, um, is as working in hospitality, just like working in any other industry, right? We are, we we do the things that we think are appropriate, right? And whatever that means for ourselves. Hospitality is, uh, as you're saying, it's not so different from any other industry in so far as all of us are broadly stuck. By what we think is quote unquote normal for the roles that we're serving in society, our both work roles and our social roles. All you have to do is sit on the subway or a bus or stand in the middle of a supermarket and just look around and you'll see that, you know, this is something that all people, almost, you know what I mean? All people, let's just be super general, um, in some degree or another. Uh, are in the middle of, of, of dealing with, right? Everybody is, is fighting this battle in some way or another. And so the first thing to say is just be generous with yourself, right? You're not alone. Everybody is dealing with this kind of a a situation in, in some degree or another. And where to go from here, if you're listening to this and you're, really thinking like, how can I be a little bit more healthy, quote unquote? How can I be a little bit more sustainable in my life and in my career? Um, It's, I think, just to be generous with yourself, to be accepting uh, that you're not going to get it all right away, and then that's okay. But at the same time, to have some sense of sense of responsibility that if you do want to make some positive changes it is within your power you know not and i this is all relative talk right everybody's dealing with something different everybody has a different thing going on everybody has a different uh personal struggle or 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 um maybe something physical or or what have you but if you ask yourself how can i be 1% better tomorrow the answer is in your Right. And it could be sleeping a little bit more. It could be drinking a little bit more water. It could be making a plan. Like what's what am I gonna eat tomorrow? Let me, why don't I show up with with some you know, some thing to eat that's a little bit more nutritious than what's being served to me? That's all everything I'm talking about is a kind of boundary, right? Because when we're not conscious. And when we're not being intentional about what we put in our bodies people around us are just going to have quick answers right here's a box of food eat it here's a thing to drink you should drink it here's a place that we're all going to go you should go right oh okay i'll go now the 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 road that people are going to influence us down if we're not being conscious and intentional about our actions in the hospitality industry is one that's particularly fraught right that's why this podcast exists is because those options that are being served to you (laughs) are not going to be hey let's go to the gym after work and drink a bunch of water right (laughs) it's it's gonna which it might be if you worked in a certain office right let's go to soul cycle during our lunch right we don't we don't have those but it's the i think the Danger is not some inherent danger of the hospitality industry. I think that the danger is, an, is more of an environmental slipperiness, and that slipperiness is particularly problematic when we are not setting intentions about what we want for ourselves, and when we're not very clear about our own values and what we want to accomplish today or tomorrow or this month. If you wake up in the morning and make a little set of intentions for the day and then make a plan for how you're gonna fulfill those intentions, well, when somebody asks, says, hey, dude, you wanna go for a couple of beers after work? Well, you know right away whether or not that's consistent with the intentions that you've set for yourself. And so it's a lot easier to say no, or sure, but I'm gonna drink water, or whatever is true for you. It's a lot easier to do that if you've already set conscious intentions for how that interaction is gonna go. If you haven't done that work, and you are just a passenger, then it's a slippery, easy road to being less healthy, right? Yeah. Whatever that means for you. So if I were to give people like the super, super condensed too long didn't read version of what I have <laughs> to say today, it's, it's just to really think hard about what do you want for you and who are you? And what does that mean? And what are some steps to take to get to that vision for yourself? Uh, If you can do that, like forget anything else that you said today. If you can just do that, which takes, you know, that's going to be a day of journaling, right? This isn't an easy, quick question. But if, if, you can do that hard introspective work a lot of this stuff becomes easy and I'm not just talking about health I'm talking about this is true of your relationships it's true for your professional progress it's true for your sure your your work and life and how they integrate and you know, what relationships you want, or who you want to be friends with, or any kind of vision for yourself. This is this is where it all starts. yeah uh, is is there. That's all I have to say.
1: Well, I mean, I think that was a perfect way to to end this episode. I think it was um, you know, heartfelt and and meaningful and certainly resonated with me, so I really appreciate you taking the time to share.
0: Alex, it's an absolute treat to hang out with you today. Uh, I will be very happy to visit Colorado soon. So that's exciting.
1: Oh, we got to get you out here.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Very, very soon.
1: To ensure that you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Focus on Health podcast on Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else that you get podcasts. Make sure to tune in every other Monday for new episodes and don't miss No Proof with Joshua Gandy every other Wednesday.